by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com fool. Welcome, fools, to the latest episode of Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is Tuesday, October 4th, and I'm your host, Vincent Shen. Ever, ever appreciative of listeners, old and new, for taking this time of your day to join us as we break down some of the latest developments in consumer and retail. So joining me via Skype from the beautiful city of Raleigh, North Carolina, I think, Asit, unless you're traveling, is SeniorFool.com analyst Asit Sharma. I'm here in Raleigh, and it's a beautiful day. So in light of our show today, I wanted to ask you, uh, what was the last purchase you made that uh, you felt gave you an opportunity to customize a product or even service to your liking? Sure. Well, Vince, to answer that question truthfully, I'm going to have to reveal what a truly boring guy I am. <laughs> uh, and this is a purchase that I'm about to make, but uh, I'm looking for this obscure set of essays by William Makepeace Thackeray. He wrote Vanity Fair, and it's out of print. It's even hard to get on Amazon or if you poke around in old uh, bookstores, just hard to find. And I discovered, surfing around on the web, that there are these small publishers which will print old text on demand. You get to choose your binding, your cover, and even your font. So for a guy like me, that's really, really exciting. I was going to say that I was getting this um, beautiful custom mountain climbing equipment made by a master craftsman who lives off the grid in a shed in Oregon. (laughs) But that's not true. Um, I had no idea that things like that existed in terms of the custom binding and and so how do they actually get the material then in terms of you know the content for the essays? Yeah, so a lot of these have rolled off of copyright. Uh, if you think about texts that are now approaching 150, 200 years old, they're common property. So you and I could pull these off of the webs and uh, the the web, and if we have the equipment, we can also print on demand and uh, send them out to folks. Uh, got it. Okay, that makes sense. So, listeners, uh, the reason I'm bringing that up in terms of this customization angle is, um, you know, the main part of our discussion is this increasingly important trend among a lot of companies, um, especially in the consumer and retail sector, that are giving consumers uh, just more and more uh, options to customize or personalize the items or services that they purchase. So, Asit, uh, before the show, I really liked the way that you had summed up a bit of the history uh, and where we currently stand, I think, in terms of the consumer retail world with customization. Can you share some of that background with the listeners? Many of us are... um familiar with the sort of jet age iconography, what things look like in the 50s. Uh, We see those beautiful pictures of airplanes, illustrated pictures of airplanes uh, flying off into the sky, Pan Am, etc. It was a really exciting time for people who had more disposable income and mass-produced goods were just coming into being. Plastic was a new material, so there was a thirst for cheap material that was made of plastic Uh, wasn't any different from what your neighbor could buy. And that's one end of a pendulum. And in the intervening decades, we sort of swung all the way to the other end. Now we have a desire for a differentiated experience. We still want things to be cheap and we still want things to be uh, accessible, but now we're willing to wait for a product uh, if it can be custom, if it can be differentiated. And it's probably a symptom of this modern life we're living that we want handmade things things that have some bit of craft or customization about them. Absolutely. I, I can totally understand that. Um, 
you know, I you mentioned the rock climbing equipment that you were not buying, but I'm actually sh- shopping for a new sleeping bag for cabin trips, camping trips, and you know, of course, I could go to an REI, for example, and pick up a bag off the rack. But you know, in the outdoor goods industry, there's a lot of cottage companies they call them, um, you know, local or at least domestic, and a lot of handmade products. And so I've been looking to a quilt from a company called Enlightened Equipment. They give you the option to choose not only like the interior exterior color but the weight the size uh, what temperature rating you want it and so that's really customized like we're talking about to exactly the needs that I want and the even the the aesthetics and the look of the product that I want so uh Next up, listeners, we're going to dive into three, uh, I guess, case studies or examples of some bigger companies and uh, different levels of how they're approaching customization in the sector. Before we do that, uh, here's a big thanks to Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans for supporting the show. Whether you've purchased a home in the past or currently scouring the market, you understand how frustrating and time-consuming getting a mortgage can be. Fortunately, Rocket Mortgage is bringing the mortgage approval mortgage approval process into the 21st century. With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's tailored to your unique financial situation. And it is fast, powerful, and completely online, so you can do all of this from your smartphone or tablet. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com/fool. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLS ConsumerAccess.org number 3030. So, our first example, Asit, is Nike. And of course, what they're most famous for, uh, and also what dominates in terms of their revenue and their profitability, which is their footwear and their Nike ID customized shoes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So, Nike has their uh, ID store, Nike ID. And this is a place you can go online and customize your own footwear. This sells at a 30 to 50% premium over what you might buy in a store. Takes three to four weeks uh, to deliver. And there are a couple of things that really benefit Nike here. Obviously, there's incremental profit in it for the company, uh, which I just mentioned. If you take the difference between finding a preferred sneaker online at a discount versus going to the store which has no discount but paying that premium, you can see that's a very nice margin pop. Uh, for Nike. But there's also customer education in this for Nike. So if you go online to this store and just work through the options, you can actually do this without having to uh, buy a product. I did myself the Nike Soft Dart sneaker. You'll learn as you construct your shoe exactly what a heathered engineered mesh upper is, which I had no idea when I started this. But you can see that Nike wants to put you uh, in the shoes of a sneaker designer and make you see their product from their perspective. That forms this bond between the manufacturer and the customer, which becomes hard to break. And we'll talk about the implications of that in just a bit. Vince, have you ever had an opportunity to build a a sneaker of your own? Yeah, so for the show, I I wanted to see what it's like. Um, So I built a version of the Lunar Epic Fly Knit Low Sneaker uh, through Nike ID. And just to give listeners an idea of what optionality you actually get through the system, uh, the the UI on the site is very easy to use. It, I think in all, it took me about maybe five, ten minutes. And if you want to be you know, very selective in terms of exactly the colors and the combinations and playing around with it, it might take a little longer. But all in all, a very simple process. Um, and this includes customizing how the upper looks, uh, the laces, the midsole, 
even the color of the Nike swoosh, you can ha- add a flag to the or a logo to, to the tongue of the sneaker. And you can even have, and I love this part, have text placed on the heel of each shoe, different for the left and right side. It can be a number, it can be your initials, whatever you want. I thought that was a really nice touch. Um, and as Austin mentioned, it's about $200 all in for the sneaker with the various customization options. And um, you know, when it comes down to it, there are a lot of different, uh, I guess, combinations in terms of what that final product will look like. And it's we weren't able to find as much information, but it kind of gives you an idea in terms of how uh, with Nike, uh, in terms of their manufacturing process to produce these Nike ID uh, offerings, but also in previous episodes, we've talked about Under Armour and the various efforts, innovation that they're trying to push on the manufacturing side, but how the company is able to um, you know, deliver these shoes, these customized shoes to consumers in a timely manner. And we know how impatient consumers can be when it comes to online shopping, expecting as close as they can get to that instant gratification. I think four weeks is on the longer side, but if the product is exactly the way you like it, I think people are willing to, to, to uh, I guess, wait that extra time. Absolutely. And that wait actually builds anticipation, as long as it's not too long. So there's a really apparent dynamic going on here in that Nike is building loyalty for its brand. We look at that single purchase as, again, this incremental margin pop, and it it is that for Nike. But if you look at it from their perspective, they want to build you as a lifetime customer. And let's set ourselves apart. Uh, We have two personalities. We're investors, but we're also customers. I'm going to disassociate myself from the customer side of things because I don't have the moolah personally to uh, plop down that 200 bucks uh, every so often and design my own shoe. But suppose you had the moolah. Once you go through this process, it's awfully hard to go back. And we see that with a lot of different instances of customization uh, in our buying careers. Once you get used to customization, you don't want to go back and just buy stuff off the shelf. For Nike to have you as a customer, let's say 85% of your future purchases throughout your life, rather than having to entice you in the store every time you go back, beside its competitors like New Balance and Adidas, that's extremely valuable to them to make you a lifetime customer. Yep, that is an awesome point. Um, The idea of Instead of fighting for those spending, you know, shopper dollars each trip to the store, win them over through the experience, build that loyalty um, through something like Nike ID, and keep them coming back, and you don't even have to worry in the future nearly as much about, you know, the the you know competition, be it who you mentioned, Adidas, New Balance, or Under Armour. So for our next example, uh, we're going to go to the world of coffee, and that's of course, uh, you know one of the biggest names there now, if not the biggest, Starbucks. Between I, what I feel is already pretty sizable menu when you walk into a store and you look at it, tons of options. Then you have the different options for what kind of milk you want. There's the flavor shots they offer. Um, as far as I know, they also offer different temperature levels. Um, I don't think I'm missing anything else there. But that's got to be hundreds, if not thousands, of different options for your final drink and what it tastes like when you get it at Starbucks. So, is this... Uh, how, you know, how does this play into the customization trend uh, that we've been discussing? Starbucks as a retail organization is inherently about customization. And this is the novelty of the anti-McDonald's 
before the show, Vince, you and I were talking about 15, 20 years ago, the lack of options and how ubiquitous that McDonald's cup of coffee was. So this, again, if you, if you think about extremes and sides of a pendulum, this is the opposite extreme of the customization pendulum. There are literally so many customization options. Starbucks could choose to rest on those laurels, but it doesn't. It's always trying to push customization one step further, and there are two paths to customization that we're going to talk about today. Uh, one is pretty expensive per store. The other is almost costless. And we uh, will talk about the costless option for Starbucks at the end of the episode and let you, the listener, try to figure out what we're talking about. What customization option does Starbucks offer that costs them almost nothing? But to get back to this first path, uh, several of you uh, who are coffee snobs or connoisseurs like myself probably remember when Starbucks acquired a machine called the Clover. This was back in 2008. And I had tried this coffee out uh, in Toronto several years ago. It's a machine which used to retail at 11,000 bucks. If you think of a coffee machine which is a little bit bigger than the size of a laser printer, this is quite an expensive piece of equipment. But what this machine does, it allows the barista to work with the customer uh, at a, a brew time down to the second and how much exposure the water has to the actual coffee grounds and you can dial in a precise temperature. So this is sort of the holy grail for many people of customization for coffee. It's a vacuum uh, type coffee process and it's extremely delicious when it's done right. But I will say it takes some experimentation uh, to get this right. Each cup run you three to four dollars for that small size, the, the tall size at Starbucks. So. I am really, I'm impressed. Uh, I remember hearing uh, a bit about the news in terms of how they were adopting the, this Clover system, how costly it is, and I'm not as big of a coffee drinker, so I will defer to your expertise and your preferences here. But you know, I understand that in this world, whether it's you know with sneakerheads and Nike and Nike shoes, and also coffee and so many other things out there, like there is some uh, aficionado out there who ha- likes it down to the most minute detail and um, you know that's kind of playing out with the trend that we're seeing with some of these companies exactly and Starbucks is using precisely the same strategies that Nike uses they're educating the customer they're giving the customer a sense of product design and in doing that they're trying to increase that lifetime value now fellow coffee snobs I know in your cities you're going to your local shops and hanging out drinking great coffee but how many times have you been in transit and stopped at a Starbucks? For some of us, we might as well go for the Clover option if they've got it because it's closer to what we're used to having. And Starbucks is well aware of this. Um, They know that not everyone is going to be a Starbucks loyal customer for life, but as they move us all up this chain of premiumization, that is um, customers who years ago were drinking that McDonald's cup and now come in and ask for all sorts of variation on their coffees as, as you were talking about Vince uh, that increases that profit and I'd like to take just a second to say something about both Nike and Starbucks which is important to know if you're an investor each of these companies for a large global conglomerate has an incredible growth rate I think Starbucks has been growing at a compounded annual revenue growth rate of about 11 percent for the last several years 
and Nike's most recent quarter, they grew total revenues 8%. And this is very difficult to do when you're in the billions and billions of dollars of revenue. How does customization play into this? So we've talked today about that incremental profit that both companies make when you start to customize your order. Well, that's the first go around. Customization, initially, it's incremental. But as time goes on, it becomes part of the company's recurring revenue base. So when Vince finally gets one over to um, highbrow coffee drinking and he comes in every day and orders that same uh, premium cup of coffee, they've turned that first time incremental experience into their revenue base. And that's how these companies manage to grow revenues even as they scale up again into the billions of dollars. Thanks, Asit. So, uh, moving on here, just because we're running out of time, uh, I want to cover two more topics. So, one is our last example, and ho- hopefully, we can, uh, you know, quickly go through this. But this is a really good example, and the company is Etsy, of you know, smaller than the other two uh, you know, companies that we've focused on so far, but. I think the perfect example of t- in terms of how you know customized or personalized products are are growing so popular. And so Etsy, if you're not familiar with it, it's an online marketplace for essentially handmade craft artisan goods. And the company went public in April of 2015. So that first day of trading was probably arguably its best day. Uh, it, the price. At sixteen dollars per share, jumped up to thirty at the end of the first day of training. But I, th- you know, it, I think with some new competition that we'll talk about uh, quickly here. But you know, the stock has generally had it already a mini boom bust period in the ensuing year and a half. Uh, it's currently trading back around fifteen dollars, but it had topped out at thirty. At some point, was as low as I think almost six seven dollars per share earlier in twenty sixteen. But uh, you know this. Uh, you know the company has 1.7 million active sellers, 26.1 million active buyers. By far the biggest platform of its kind for more handmade crafted goods. But what do you think about the company asset? I think the company is an interesting long-term buy. Uh, everyone had concerns about Etsy post IPO because it had such a high marketing spend relative to its sales. Uh, Folks were worried about Amazon.com's uh, handmade marketplace coming into competition with Etsy. And also there was the concern that, is there really a market for this long term, the craft, the artisan movement, or is that a fleeting type of fad? And I think what Etsy is showing us recently with its results is that, number one, um, they are able to control their spend. They're moving their marketing spend more to a digital-based marketing. So we're starting to see a little bit better pop in gross margin and in the bottom line. Uh, Also, Amazon.com, for all its might, doesn't seem to have impacted Etsy's business so far. And and I'll flip that back to you in just a second, Vince. Uh, And thirdly, the company is growing its global sales at a great clip. I think this last quarter, they grew their international sales by 57%. And this indicates that they can continue to expand globally. There's a lot, if you look at Europe, uh, Asia, and Africa, where some of their business is starting to, to spread, there is a lot of demand for the same kind of artisan materials that, and customized materials that we're enjoying here in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. It, on the Amazon handmade side, uh, for a company that's obviously proven themselves to be very, very strong in this e-commerce uh, space, this model, they too are expanding abroad. Uh, I think initially they were in just a handful of European countries. Now they're spreading across the entire continent. And uh, you know, Amazon handmade is still a much smaller platform, though. Uh, I think. They are at the point where they might have about uh, 
the last number I found was 500,000 uh, product listings, whereas with Etsy, it, you know, it's a much, much bigger, bigger number in the millions. And um, when you take all that into account, I think that overall this trend actually is this kind of situation where the tide lifts all the ships. And, you know, obviously uh, Amazon is not a competitor I would ever underestimate in the space. Um, and Etsy should be aware uh, of what the company is doing and how it might impact their business. But overall, I think this trend is something that is will continue to grow. And as Etsy finds its footing, can decrease marketing, for example, as a percentage of its revenue. And you know, they have 81% of their gross motion merchandise sales, for example, in 2015 came from repeat purchases. So, you know, shoppers are obviously building some of that loyalty that you mentioned, Asa, and they like uh, what they see. I th- personally think that Etsy has a really attractive marketplace. My experiences there shopping have been very positive. And Amazon's definitely very familiar, but there's something about it, I think, where Etsy has that. It's just uh, something special where it's like really crafted the way it started was for these handmade customized goods. And whereas Amazon was more so, you know, the more traditional retail items. I agree. And Etsy has just that cachet of offering the handmade goods the artisan goods, and you almost want to look there first. And so, just to sum up on Etsy, they've got the first mover advantage, which seems like they're retaining. This year, they raised fiscal guidance for revenues, um, profit, and it may be a bumpy ride, so we're not obviously advising people to jump into this stock, but definitely keep an eye on it. It seems like they're holding their ground so far, and there is a market, as we've discussed this entire episode, for custom goods, and they're in the right place at the right time. Yep. So our last example, we kind of flipped to the other side of the coin here. Uh, so we had three companies that have, uh, f- at varying levels, really turned their attention to customization or you know increased choices for the consumer and the draw it can have with shoppers and in terms of you know building a business, growing your business. So other side of the coin then is what can happen. I guess our example, if you fail to see, uh, I guess the fact that consumers want options. Aeropus Postal is a name that's familiar to many of us who've wandered into the shopping malls, and I think for parents who have teenage kids, used to be a wonderful brand, leading brand, and uh, very into these big Aeropostal logos on their sweatshirts, etc. Well, for the last several years, teenagers, preteens, uh, those moving into college have moved away from logos because of this whole sea change or shift away from mass goods into custom goods. So if you think about walking into a store, maybe you can't get something customized as you wait, but you certainly don't want a huge logo splashed on the clothing. And that's a trend that's been apparent to a lot of folks who watch the fashion industry, but Aeropostal was in denial. And they continued, as other companies were shrinking their logos or making them disappear altogether, they continued to splash that big logo on their displays. And the net result is the company declared bankruptcy in May of this year. And now they're undergoing a rescue package. Some of the rescuers are the actual malls, which are on the hook for the Aeropostal leases. So this is a cautionary tale. We call this a super trend because it goes across industries, the customization super trend. If you ignore it, it's actually to your peril. And for those of you who are interested, there was an excellent article in Bloomberg uh, yesterday about this. I think it's um, Rebel Teens Are Killing America's Clothing Giants. Yep. 
I think in this example, um, you know, the fact that they didn't see that uh, changing preference, uh, you know, with, uh, with what you mentioned in terms of logos, definitely a company. And I think at the time, maybe even ten years ago, uh, when I think back to my time. Uh, in high school, going back to college, uh, or going into college, and uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the their competitors think American Eagle Outfitters, Abercrombie and Fitch as well. They all followed that very similar. The clothes, you know, looked very, very similar. Whereas now, uh, if you think about you know the fast fashion houses that have uh, become so successful, it's more so uh, less of a logo, but different pieces so that people, you know, coming back to the customization idea, they can build the outfit, the look that they want. Uh, there's more of that individuality with, uh, you know, how people want their fashion to look. So, um, I I, uh, I know you mentioned that second very inexpensive uh, kind of customization route that Starbucks has taken. Um, I wanted to let you uh, touch on that at the end, and uh, we can kind of discuss that before we close out for the day. Sure. So, listeners, when you walk into Starbucks, your barista writes your name on the cup. That's an almost costless way for Starbucks to offer customization. It's really personalization, but it's part of the same bucket and you may get tired of it after a while, but for masses of people, that's something that's looked forward to when a regular walks in and sees their name on the cup, or it gets greeted by name eventually. Starbucks has figured out that there are a number of ways to come at customization. It's not all about those expensive clover machines uh, or the high-end roasteries that they're opening up all over the world. It's also about the personal touches. You can customize almost for free if you put your mind to it. Yeah, I thought that was uh, a very interesting take. At first, uh, you know, when we were talking about the show, uh, talking about this episode previously, I was a little bit skeptical. But you know, when you presented it, uh, just something as simple as you know, writing each person's name on the cup, and uh, when the order comes up, uh, you know, how that how they shout out, you know, that the person's uh, order is ready. Including that as part of the entire process, uh, the experience of visiting a Starbucks store, I think that is surprisingly, you know, a, uh, a relatively important piece of it, uh, and it contributes overall to people uh, and their loyalty that uh, Starbucks has been enjoying with coffee drinkers. It's simple, but it resonates. Absolutely. So that is all the time we have for today, but you can continue the conversation with us and the rest of the Industry Focus crew via Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or send us any questions or comments via email to industryfocus at fool.com. People in the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stock expansion, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! <laughs>